I hope you're feeling better soon. I I do <laughs> intend to. to say, that's that's what you're supposed to say, yeah. But yeah, here we go. <clears throat> right, let's do it. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Back to business on the Blue Moon Podcast this week as Manchester City's men's team returns to action after the international break. Everton and PSG are both coming to the Etihad and City are looking to pick up where they left off after that 2-0 win at Old Trafford a fortnight ago. Everton were once a bit of a bogey team for City. Perhaps some still feel that way that they are as well. So we're going to use that opportunity to look at some of the teams the panel historically feared playing. A point against PSG will see City safely into the knockout phase of the Champions League as well, while a win will confirm them as Group A winners. So we'll look ahead to both of those games shortly. Plus, Howard Hocking will be back a bit later on. He's looking at how the international breaks have changed for City fans in the last decade or so. I'm David Mooney, and with me this week, I have two City fans. I've got Kieran Murray. Hello. And we welcome back for the first time this season, Gaz. Hi, you right? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Kieran, you well? Yes, I'm brilliant. Um, I sit beside Gaz at the Etihad, and we've literally never talked about football before, so uh, this will be a first. <laughs> How, wait, whoa, what? <laughs> we just talk shite the whole game, David. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you, have you not done the podcast together? You must not have done that. No, 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 we haven't. No, well, uh, let's 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 change that then. Yeah, Um well. Let's start. So Everton at home is the is the place we're going to start. Gaz, um, Everton were a bogey side for years for City. Um, how do you feel about them now going into this sort of game? It's weird, isn't it? You still can't sort of shake the um, it's Everton feeling. But I can to bring to mind the last time we struggled against them. Was it the, the one where it was the first game of the season when... Um, their goalie, whose name escapes me, the Dutch one had a had an absolute storm. I think that's, that's like the last one I can remember where we where we properly stu- um, struggled against them. I mean, they um, they, they did batter us four 0 at Goodison under. Ah, uh, of course, yeah, uh, well, that, that was yeah. the Bravo. I, I think I've, I've selectively removed all um, memories of Claudio Bravo out of my <laughs> mind, and that was his absolute disaster class, wasn't it? Understandable. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kieran, are you the same? Are you are you still a little bit wary of Everton, d- despite you know the fact that City's record actually is pretty good these days? Yeah, they're just one of those teams that I just don't like playing. Um, I've just always got that niggly feeling, and even though like the tides have turned a little bit, and uh, I think we've won the last eight against them, if if I'm correct in saying that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I never like playing them, and Benitez in the past couple of seasons where we've met him. It's been quite a, a cagey affair. Uh, not much happening. Not not too many goals in it. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit wary of them this weekend. To be honest with you. Yeah. Was it was it just going to Goodison though, Gaz? Or was it was it home and away as well? Because I I always think even even the home games there was there was a time when every single City Everton home game finished either two one or two nil to Everton with Tim Cahill scoring a header. <laughs> yeah, Stakelenberg. I've just remembered his name. Right, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he saved two penalties. Yeah. Yeah, De Bruyne and Aguero both missed, didn't they? Yeah, that was and didn't Kyle? Well, didn't something happen to Kyle Walker in that game as well? Didn't he? Did he get sent off? He, oh, no, he got that, sent that off was... in the one-all the other year where, yeah. where Rooney scored, I think. Right. Yeah, that's, that, that was and the year after. But yeah, there's two, two games together. But that was the year after. Yeah, we're already <laughs> right. lo- we're, we're already rambling <laughs> off down a different track. It's Sorry. fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you asked me. I'm worried at home. Um, uh, no, well, like I said, I mean, you, you, you kind of, 
that that sort of era with Cahill and such, it was it was it was weird though, wasn't it? It wasn't like it wasn't just like it was that they had a bit of a sign over us. It was also like a kind of like ideological battle, wasn't it? Like there was very much sort of like a sort of resentment that they'd, you know, uh, quote unquote, bring it the right way and hit a bit of a glass ceiling, you know, finishing fourth and fifth, just as we were, you know, um, doing it the other way, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so th- there was that kind of like, bite to it and now since then there's actually been a bit of an allyship since we actually you know have sort of taken on a role of stopping well hopefully stopping Liverpool from winning things so it's all yeah. I think a lot of that heat heat has sort of been taken out of these games but I, I do remember them um yeah it was the Lescott affair as well wasn't it Kieran that That's was right. that was another one yeah, and I was worried last year that our sort of friendship was going to end after the COVID debacle because remember we uh we postponed the game around Christmas last year and all the Everton fans were up in arms about it. Oh, they were yeah. losing their rag completely because they were under Ancelotti doing really well and having a great season. I think they fancied fancied it to beat us and then it all cancelled. And yeah, a few of them, a few of them uh, were very unhappy with City at that time. Do you remember they yeah. wanted full disclosure and they wanted an oh, investigation it, done and everything? It was, uh, it was ridiculous. They, they claimed that we did it all to avoid playing them because they were in such amazing form, apparently. Yeah. I mean, they, they were for them, but like, didn't it mean that we, because of the amount of COVID absences, we kind of played Chelsea. Was it a few days after or a few days before with like half a team? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah it, it was obviously just complete fanciful nonsense that we'd... Mm. <laughs> that would, yeah. uh, you know, forced it. But yeah, but having said that, I mean, I think were people that annoyed, or was it just like the, the, you know, the the, the people who the, are perennially the online? More, yeah, the more mentally yeah. mental parts of the internet. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Gaz, just before we move on from bogey sides, any other teams that you uh, used to dread playing but maybe don't anymore? Um, Middlesbrough were a famous one, weren't they? Although they got a good result against us a couple of years ago, and they're not in the league anymore. Um, I wonder if there's not really. I mean, I suppose I suppose all the games that to give a really dull answer. No, <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah, um, all right. <laughs> Kieran, for me, it was always Spurs, and it's it's kind of become Spurs again. There was a spell where we used Spurs to beat away, them all yeah. the time. Yeah, but yeah. So you don't worry about Spurs anymore? I, no, I, I used. I, I I I got to the point where I didn't worry about Spurs anymore. But it's oh, come, right. it's come full circle. I do again now. Yeah. Yeah. We had a. Awful... I mean, like, is that a bogey side though, or is that just like a, you know, a, good a, team. a half a half decent? <laughs> yeah, team? yeah, yeah. Same with Arsenal away at a time. We we went for years and years and years without winning. At I don't know if Highbury was included, but certainly the Emirates. Anyway, uh, I think we won there for the first time in Mancini's last season. Two yeah. nil. Um, so, but they they were just a great side, weren't they? So it was like not necessarily bogey. We, we, we went through a period of time where we kept losing one nil. Against Sunderland, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. It was. Yeah. It, it, it was kind of like the annual write-off game. Yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah. are Palace about to become that team? They could yeah. be. They could be. Yeah, they could be indeed. Uh, right. Well, uh, there's only one thing we can do uh, on an international week with bogey teams in the question, and it's this. Oh. It's a quiz on City's <laughs> bogey team. <laughs> you two thought that you'd got away with it for a while, so uh, I just thought I'd uh, spring this one on you. You know the drill by now. Six questions, pick a number each. Uh, a point for you if you get it right. If you get it wrong, then uh, I'm not going to offer it across. We'll just see who gets the most at the end. Um, Gaz, you've not been on for a while. Do you want to go first or second? Um, second. Okay, Kieran, pick a number. One to six. Uh, four, please. 
Number four. Which team has taken the most points off Pep Guardiola's City? Um, Crystal Palace. No. They've taken eight points. Leicester have taken nine. Liverpool have taken 13. United and Spurs have taken 14. But Chelsea have taken 15. Whoa, I was well off. So well off, yeah. So uh, swing and a miss. Gals, what are you having? Six. Number six. Uh, Who are the only team ever to knock City out of the FA Cup in successive seasons? Um, West Ham? No, it's another W. It's Wigan. Wigan. 2013 and 2014. It was the year after they won it, didn't they? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so nil-nil. Kieran, chance to uh, take the lead? Uh, Four, please. Uh, you had number four, Sorry, first five, time round. Five. Number five. <laughs> five. You can't have the same question again. <laughs> Chelsea. Yeah. Still get it wrong. Yeah. Uh, question number five. Uh, who is the only current Premier League team to have played at the Etihad and never lost? Oh. Uh, what? Oh, wait. Um. Oh. Who came up this season? Uh, Brentford, Norwich, and oh, who came up? Oh, I can't get it. Um, no pass. I can't think. Oh, Kieran Murray, it's Leeds United. Yeah. Oh, played played two, one, one, drawn one. Right. Yes. Okay. I so, guys, questions. Promoted, yeah. Yeah, Gaz, questions one, two, and three left. I would have got Kevin. both of those if you passed them, by the way. Uh, so, well, sorry, it's the rules. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Um, one. Number one, which manager has beaten City the most since the takeover in 2008? Um, Jose Mourinho. No, it's uh, the old foe, Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, I didn't. Nah, I, I thought that yeah. was probably the case, but I just didn't want to say it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Nine times, so uh, still nil nil. Are we gonna are we gonna break the duck on the final two questions, Kieran? Two who's, or three to pick. Who's second on that list? We, um, we should lose the next games against them until that's not the answer. Until that's not the answer anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, Alex Ferguson uh, with nine wins, uh, Jurgen Klopp with eight wins, then Jose mm. Mourinho, David Moyes, Arsene Wenger with seven. Okay. So uh, it would involve losing to Liverpool this season. So, Kieran, what are you having? Uh, two or three? Three, please. Or can I have no. four again? <laughs> no, you can't have four again, uh, but you can have three. Who scored City's only winning goal at home against Tottenham between the years 1994 and 2011? Between 94 and 2011. Uh, uh, Quinn. No, it's a lot more recent. Neda Manua. Oh, shite. 2008, yeah. So, Gaz, that leaves you with question number two. This to win it. Because <laughs> nobody's got one right Because nobody's got one right, yeah. <laughs> this is the one that I think you've got a good chance because you can you can have a swing, in a, a swing at this one and you might get it right if you don't know it. How many times did Roberto Mancini lose 1-0 at Sunderland? Um, three. We have a winner. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> There we go. Yep, 2010-11, 2011-12, and 2012-13. Three years running, three defeats in a row. 
I don't think you should uh, put that on the show at all, David. <laughs> well, it's off, it's going in. <laughs> the, the the bit where you talk an hour, about about a minute, just homing was great, great podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. I think you should offer offer it across in the quizzes. Yeah, but then you definitely definitely have lost because Gaz said he could get all your questions right. So well, no, uh, I would have got Wigan, I think. Uh, and it would have been an you're at a bit of an advantage as well, I suppose, when you've had one taken out, haven't you? you can... Yeah. There you go. Yeah, are we recording this? Yeah, yeah we, we're still recording. I mean, whether whether or not it makes the edit is a different story, but here we are. Um, right, so... I completely forgot where I was. For yeah, um, let's let's get back to the Premier League, because City back in uh, Premier League action. Um, Gaz, City currently three points off the top. It might be six by the time they kick off against um, Everton on Sunday. Um, mm. But I guess it's it's better than they, than we could probably have expected after the Palace game, is it really? Yeah, uh, other results have gone our way. Um, we got obviously got the, a really good result away at Old Trafford, and I think like um, the, the the main thing now for for us is that we've we've gone to um, is it the top four? Or have we got the top five from last season? I think um, all of those away games are technically the hardest games, and. Like this is now where you would sort of be looking at us to go on one of those runs, you know, like we have done previously. Um, you know, you know, put put together a, a sort of double digit run of run of wins uh, and and really sort of stretch our legs a bit. Um, so yeah, we're we're well placed to do that. Um, I am a bit concerned about Chelsea, and I know they had a dodgy result the other day, but I think that they've got it in them as well to to easily amass quite a lot of results as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing, isn't it, Kieran? I, I guess, like this season, uh, when it's been a City-Liverpool title race in the last couple of years, it, like you just need to pull away from one team. As soon as you put a third in there, you've got a bit of a wild card going on, haven't you? Yeah, and I think that's why this season's probably shaping up to be quite an exciting one if it's, a, it's, if it's more of a three-horse race. Um, yeah, uh, but the, the wild card of Chelsea, I mean, every so often they just sort of lose their way a little bit regroup find a new brilliant manager who comes along spend loads of money and then they're just back in the mix again um it's a strategy that seems to work for them and does pay dividends uh and i think tuchel you know as he sort of proved last season against us um has what it takes to sort of win at the very top elite level um so yeah by the look of them and liverpool have had a few shaky results we've had a few surprising results and as Gaz kind of picked up on there, I think you can imagine Chelsea with with the sort of resources, the squad depth, uh, and the and the excellent manager. I think they probably could go on a bit of a run. So we we really need to do uh, fear them. I think this season we've proven. I think I think we've proven um, that we're better than Chelsea and and also Liverpool in in the games against them. I know mm. that the second half against Liverpool was even, but the, over the course of the game, I think it's like we were the better side. Yeah, but yeah. They don't have to be as good as us to go on a similar run, do they? They they just have to be better than everybody else, and and those two teams are as well. So yeah, um, I don't. In, think in, we'll interesting be... dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting though now, guys, because you you mentioned that there there there's an opportunity to kind of stretch the legs now. It is the winter slog that's coming up, basically. You know, a game every three or four days now for for the next couple of months. Um, Everton at home feels like the worry I have with this game is it feels very much in the same vein as Southampton at home Crystal Palace at home it's that kind of mid mid-level tier of team that on their day could cause problems but generally when they when they go to City or when they go to one of the top teams they don't have their day it's just that every now and then they do have it and this season we've seen two teams do that to City already 
Yeah, I do think as good as as good as those two teams were, particularly particularly Palace of the day, um, we 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 underperformed ourselves as well, didn't we? So um, if we play as well as we can, I think we we take that out of the equation a bit. Um, so I, I don't. What, I guess my point is, I'm not necessarily worried about that sort of profile of team. I'm more worried about what City do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, is there any concerns, Kieran, over the home form? Because it's been it's been at home where City have mainly dropped points this season. I know, I know they lost to Spurs on the opening day, but that was kind of mm. a bit of a, of a weird weird game for for everybody. But like, aside from that, away they've been pretty damn good. Yeah. I I sort of think it's been a semi feature of Pep's tenure has like. I reckon under Mancini and then in Pellegrini's first season, certainly, the Etihad was an absolute fortress. You know, we very rarely drop points and I never really had that much fear over anybody. And at the moment, I think because Pep's teams are so um, so unbelievably hard to beat and we're quite clearly, you know, up there with the best, you know, teams ever seen in the Premier League. Teams are just killing themselves to, to beat us, really. Um and they make it very, very difficult to play against them at you know at our at our at home. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is. I, I I know that in past seasons, I know we didn't go the last season, but in past seasons I went and always kind of felt confident. And this season, going the games, um, I thought maybe it's something to do with the international break, and you just there's, there's not been that much momentum this season or something, and. Um, Every time we show up to those kind of teams that you're talking about, I know what Gaz has just said, he's not really worried about them, but something about those quite defensive-minded mid-tier teams with switched-on canny managers, just, yeah, it kind of I do get the fear at home a little bit. Um, and I think Sam Lee's kind of alluded to it a little bit recently that City are kind of just trying to play a bit more conservatively this year. Um, and maybe at home we kind of run out of ideas a little bit too easily or something. Um for for all for all we kind of tried at Palace, it it very quickly you know turned into a cycle of trying the same thing over and over again, hoping to yield different results, and it just never on the day really ever looked like it was going to happen. And I don't really know what the answer is. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Gaz, do you think other, do you think opposition teams are doing something different at the Etihad these days? Um, they, because they, they used to. They, I mean, they, they used to be a case of they'll come and stick eleven men behind the ball, make themselves really hard to beat. And now there's like you look at how Palace pressed City and, and cut out the space. You look at how Southampton did it as well. But Itez might do that this weekend. I think they just they, every year. I think the league just gets a bit better. And and um, you're right. Whereas like previously. Teams would like that would just, you know, sit tight and then just hope and a wing and a prayer. Like these teams have got like progressive managers with a plan that can, you know, they're they're front to back. They might defend or sit deep or whatever, but they they know what they're going to do when they get the ball, which is a bit different from 
you know how it used to be how it used to be previously and, and, and like you know that just shows that you've only got to sort of look at like where teams you know in, in the bottom half or in the middle of the premiership sort of do is premiership it's not been the premiership for a long time about 15 years and <laughs> <laughs> um, do their do their shopping you know they're, they're all they're all buying 20 million pound players or whatever you know they, they, they get the you know a lot, a lot of the best players you, you know from from france and germany and, and and spain as well pretty much anybody who's not playing for the top clubs there that's the market that, that the premier league's in now so it's not it's not the case that you know you just get you know keep it tight lads and and eleven lad people who can't play football when they've actually got the ball they can do something with it and it's you know it's it, it sort of shows. Yeah, Kieran, who who for City needs to get back into into form if they if they're going to put one of those winning runs together? Um, there's because there's been as as much as we've been singing the praises of players like Foden and uh, and Bernardo at the start of this season so far, there's been you know for every one of them, there's a player that you're going, oh, he's he's quietly had a bit of a stinker of a season so far. Mm. Uh, well, Sterling, S- Sterling's the one. Sterling's the one I would love to just kick on and refine some of the form because I just love him and I always have at City and uh, it came on the other night against Bruges was it? Yeah yeah. Uh, in Europe and did, did he score or uh, he looked good anyway and did he score? Yeah he scored he, he got uh, the fourth goal third goal I can't remember but yeah yeah um, it's mad you can remember games from like 2010, but you can't remember a game from last week. I know. Um, yeah, yeah. So he, he looked all right. And then I know, like, I know that United seemed to be like we'd shored things up and we just like played it out with the same 11 on the pitch. But I thought, you know, if Pep had been sort of thinking in the terms of sort of a semi long game with Sterling, it might have been an idea to have brought him on. You know, just if, if he came on against Bruges, looked so good, got a goal. Um, if you want to sort of play him back in the form and give him a, a little bit of a, a of a shot again, I thought that would have been an ideal time to bring him on. You know, uh, I don't think it would have done much harm. But yeah. I, you know, I, I saw why he kept it the same way uh, the whole ninety. But um, yeah, so I'd love to see I'd love to see Raz kind of uh, refine some form again. Uh, he's probably got a bit of a. Um, a vendetta against Everton, maybe uh, from his Liverpool days. I don't know. I'm sure can you, see, can you see him being involved this weekend, or uh, uh, will Guardiola just just go with what he knows so far? I think I, I was thinking about this, and I, I reckon he'll probably go the same eleven as uh, as a, against United. Um, doesn't doesn't Jesus have an amazing record against Everton? Yeah, he does. I, I don't know if this sort of comes into the th- into the reckoning, mm. but he's going to be playing where Sterling might want to be playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked good on the right, didn't he, Sterling, when he came on? So maybe, maybe from the subs bench, you know, later on. I don't know if he if he wants to freshen it up or just, uh, you know, another another idea or two in the mix if we're struggling. But um, we all know what Sterling can do on his day, and look what he did off the bench. Well, I know it's very different opposition, Bruges, and the the, the tie was all but dead. Like, but um, yeah, no, it'd be like to see him. I just, you know, your question about who you'd like to see in a bit of form again. I think it'll always be Sterling because I just. What he's achieved in a blue shirt in the past three or four years has been just absolutely phenomenal, and yeah. so you know you know he has it in him, and yeah. you just love to see him switch it on again, you know, and playing time is how he's going to get that again. 
A thought has just occurred to me that um, uh, Jesus and Edison uh, both played for Brazil, didn't they? And I don't know what the current situation is anymore with red list countries and uh, returning and vaccinations, all that sort of stuff. So there is, there's, I guess we'll find out in in Guardiola's press conference on Friday if if both of them are available. Mm. Um, if if they're not, then it might be an opportunity for Sterling to come back in. Um, I mean, the other the other name, Gaz, that I, I guess I, I I wonder if I'm throwing a match into a box of fireworks here when I say Kevin De Bruyne. I thought that's what you were fishing for when you were asking <laughs> Kieran that question. But I, I thought that, um, yeah, I mean, he's not he's not been um, as good as he can be for a while. He scored against um, Wales, didn't he? Enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I must admit, so, I didn't. I didn't watch the the um, Wales Belgium game. I was I was coming back from football and I had it on Five Live, and the, like about four or five times. The commentator said, uh, "Oh, that, that's a rare misplaced pass from Kevin De Bruyne." And I start, and I, and I, I remember I, in the ten-minute journey, and I was thinking, if he's done it four times in ten minutes, is it rare? <laughs> he he he's really good at having. I often say something like crap games on the sly. Like you, mm. you won't kind of realize he's having one. Um, I mean, he, you know, he's still great, obviously, but he, he needs to. He's, he's not. He's not been. You know, he's not reached the heights of a couple of years ago for for some time now. Um, I, I think I, I think I kind of would have agreed with Kieran's answer though in that Sterling because it's just sort of like what I was saying before about wanting to get into like that kind of you know um, relentless run uh, you know tw- you know double digits of games and wins like it, is it Sterling you'd kind of want to be the person you know because because when we've done it before he's always been the one who's just been racking up the goals and sort of putting scenes to the sword. I mean, I wouldn't say, it wouldn't go as far as say he's a flat trap bully, far from it, but he, that, that's where he's came in most useful for us, isn't it? Just yeah. getting us over the line in, in the games mm. we should be winning. Yeah. So what, I mean, if, if you each had to pick your front three for this game, um, assuming that Jesus was available, Gaz, who would you go for? Um, Jesus Foden and I'm going to miss somebody out here, aren't I? He's like really obvious. Um, yeah, let's let's say Raheem Sterling. Let's 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 go with that. Yeah, uh, Kieran. <laughs> um, well, who's been playing? Who's been even playing the false nine lately? Um, Jesus, I would like to see Jesus Foden, but has he put? In, has he been putting De Bruyne? Foden's done it a bit. False nine. De Bruyne right. has done it a bit. Yeah, because um, Bernard, Bernardo's dropped but, deeper, hasn't he? So yeah, yeah, he has. So like, I I can't really remember who. I know who started the derby, but I can't really remember what formation it was in front three. Um, so yeah, I suppose. I suppose You're too consumed by hate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was I was consumed by nerves, and then when and, it got yeah, going and hubris afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, I was. <laughs> what a day! Can we just talk about it for the rest of the show? <laughs> I, I wish we could. But I wish it was uh, on two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've uh, uh, we've got to we've got to press on though. So uh, yeah. No. So uh, you, same, it, same, same front three as the derby, I would say, David. But I can't actually remember who that was. So yeah. whatever, whoever it was, yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fortnight ago. We're not expected to remember that far ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. So to get an Everton perspective on this weekend's fixture, I've been speaking to Matt Jones from the Blue Room to get an idea how their season is going so far. I think they're on the cusp of a potentially worrying spell, and a spell that we all sort of said ahead of the season would potentially be really troublesome for Rafael Benitez. And that is a spell where results don't go your way. You've got some tough fixtures. And even though fingers probably shouldn't be pointed at him, 
the anger will be directed at him if Everton don't get particularly good results. Um, they obviously had a, a good start and they were able to get the, the first 11 on the pitch quite a lot. Um, obviously, Dominic Carvalhoon and Richarlison, Decore in midfield, Mina at centre-back. Um, but I think Everton's issue, and it has been for a while now, is that if you take some of those lads out of the 11, then the drop-off between Carvalhoon and Rondon is enormous. Between Yeri Mina and pretty much any other centre-back at the moment is enormous. Decore, Tom Davis, it's the same. So... I think they're in this this sort of situation where there's a lot of moving parts. Um, there's a lot of fingers being pointed at various aspects of the club for why this is going wrong. And they're probably about where they should be in the table at the moment. But um, it doesn't really feel as though the, the team's going anywhere at the moment. There's any momentum, there's any sort of sure foot and being built. So there's just a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a mush at the moment, I'd say. It's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm interested in in kind of how it got to this as well, because like for for years, Everton have. It, it's felt like Everton have been the team to watch, and then you know the, the season comes around. And it says, "Oh, well, maybe it'll be next season that Everton are the team to watch, and next season, and next season." Kind of how how has it happened? Because I mean, you've got resources, haven't you? Yeah, well, I think they've obviously had resources, and I think over the the ten year Farhad Mashiri has been at the football club, so he he's, he's been in involved in everything in some way it was five years in February so he's had time to get his feet under the table now he's, he's had time to, to spend money and I think he spent around half a billion pounds on on players in total and we're ultimately left with a situation now where you know, everything don't have two goalkeepers on the bench every week we're all surprised and that is not a good place to be in when you spend that that kind of money and it, it, it comes down to a variety of things you know everything have spent rashly and poorly they've appointed the wrong people to be in the, in the wrong positions and they're in a situation now where they're still trying to offload players that were bought under the previous director of football that were bought under managers like Sam Allardyce who effectively were given free reign for, for six months to do what he wanted because the club was in such a, a bad place and I think ultimately it's it's it has got to come back to, to the owner and, and the people he's put in place and while it's it's fantastic that he's been able to get the stadium up and running and everything are going to potentially be looking at a world-class you know, arena down on the waterfront, which is what everybody wanted for so long. There are so many other aspects of the club that are, are, you know, are skewed effectively. You know, he, he's appointed the wrong people. He's made a lot of wrong decisions. And while you can't you know, fault the man's willingness to, to spend and willingness to invest, everything are in a position now where, where they can't do it. And it's not like a situation like Manchester City were in a few years ago where you effectively had carte blanche to, to, to spend whatever you wanted without any sort of consequences. There are there are consequences now and they're in a situation where Everton could only bring in Damari Gray for, for a fee in the summer for 1.5 million. Everybody else is on a free transfer. So they've got themselves into a right mess effectively. And when we were in those seasons where we were all sort of sitting around going, oh God, we're going to pay the price for this, this reckless spend in one day. You know, this is going to come back to bite us in the backside. That's what we're living through now. Everton have effectively got to take the medicine for the next couple of years. Um, I just hope they can be steady in the Premier League, which I think is why they, they opted for someone like Rafael Benitez. I was going to say, uh, Benitez, uh, obviously the job he did at Newcastle, he's revered uh, by, by Newcastle fans. How How's the how's the relationship between him and the fans? Because I, I, I can't imagine having been an ex-Liverpool manager, he was a popular appointment in the summer. <laughs> no, no I don't, not, not at all. It's... Um... It's a bit strange. I, th- I think I, I, I sort of was against the appointment, but I, you know, I, I was against it mainly because I thought that he's not really done a, a really good job at a club for about ten years. And for, for me, the, the Liverpool thing 
wasn't a, a major factor. You know, if someone had said to me in the summer, Everton could have Jurgen Klopp or Brendan Rodgers as your manager, I'd be like, yes, please. You know, either of them are absolutely fine. You know, forget about the Liverpool connections. They're both really good managers. I wasn't really sure if he was in that bracket anymore of being a, a really good manager. And there'll be people listening to this saying, you know, Everton are a mid-table club, ultimately what what you'd expect. But I, I can't sit here and talk about Benitez and, and say that the Liverpool factor isn't a factor, if, if that makes sense. Of course it's a thing. He was the, the fella in charge when our biggest rivals had the greatest night in their history and produced one of the, the, the best sporting comebacks ever. And that is that, that stings and, and that means that when things do go wrong, whether it's his fault or not, people are going to look at him. But I don't know, I think the, the relationship at the moment is it's, it's just a bit weird because you've, I think he's, he's a very canny fella, Benitez. And I think when things were going well at the start, he wasn't coming over to the supporters and giving it loads and, and waving and, you know, really trying to endear himself to supporters in that way. He, he kept very distant. And I think by doing that, he's sort of done himself a favour now because if he'd fully invested then and was, you know, being this this sort of figure who was going to try and wheel his way in with the fans and, and try and earn favour that way, people will be pointing the finger at him now saying, well, why aren't you doing that? And so, so I think people have sort of been quite standoffish and, I think there's been frustration with some of the decisions he's made in recent weeks in regards to substitutions, but I imagine every fan in the country feels about like that about the manager on occasion. Um, so I think it's, it's just quite quite standoffish and quite cold, and it, people haven't turned on him yet. People haven't really had a go at him yet. There's been no real animosity towards him, but you know, <laughs> I can't imagine a situation where if Everton are losing the Merseyside derby in ten days' time, and they're ready to taking the piss, singing his name and singing Rafa give us a wave and all that, that. You know, I, I can't imagine people are going to react very kindly to that. I'd be able to, to, to maintain the, the composure over that. Yeah. Um, obviously, this game is at the Etihad. Um, uh, what's the difference between you guys home and away this season? Um, I think I think at home they've they've sort of fed off the the atmosphere and spells in games when they've been playing well. I don't think they've had a, a real good home performance yet this season. But I think what they, what they have been able to do is been able to ride the momentum of of little moments in games that they've been able to get on a roll from and play well in that way um, and play from an attacking point of view. I think early in the season when they played away from home and I'm thinking here, particularly against uh, games against Leeds, Brighton and United and the United game, they had so many players out injured that day. They, they did well to get a, a point really. Um, I think away from home, they've been able to put in a few more complete performances, um, even though they haven't been necessarily as good results because they've been able to focus on defending and just just keeping the shape and being defensive. Um, it's not always worked. You know, the Wolves game, the, the last away game before the break was was really abject and horrendous. But again, the, the injury seemed to to catch up with them. Um, so uh, I don't know. I think, I think away from home, they maybe struggled to, to get on those little roles like they have done at home where they've been able to, to play really well for, for, you know, five, ten minutes and sort of take the game away from, from teams like Burnley and teams like Southampton. Um, and teams like Norwich as well. They haven't been able to do that quite as much away from home, but they've been able to be a bit more disciplined, focus on the shape a little bit more. But that's that's got a lot harder in recent weeks. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously Decore and, and Carvalhoon, people will know how much of a, a miss they both are for Everton. But I think the one that sort of goes unnoticed outside of, of the Everton bubble is Yerry Mina. Um, he's someone who's, who's comfortably established himself as, as the best centre-half of the football club. And, and when he's not the Michael Keane, doesn't really look natural being in that defensive leader role. Ben Godfrey hasn't been quite as on it. The fullbacks look a little bit shaky as well. So 
I think he's been a big miss. I think he's going to be back for the weekend, but of course, Everton are going into this game playing a, a calibre of opposition that is by far and away the best they've faced at any point this season. So it's going to be a huge test for them. I was going to say as well. I mean, you you look at your at your fixture list. It's it's not particularly kind for the next few weeks, is it? There's uh, there's City <laughs> no. away. There's uh, Liverpool at home. Uh, Arsenal have hit a bit of form there coming up. You know, Chelsea even, at the bridge. Even Brentford away. Yeah, isn't it? Brent- I think the game after City. You know that. I think that that's a sort of game when you, you know, that that's not one one you want when you're in the middle of playing City and Liverpool, is it? You know, if, you, if you're picking a fixture to play in between those two games against the best two teams in the country, that's just a, a horrible, nasty little <laughs> fixture that looks really hard all of a sudden, doesn't it? Yeah, so um, I mean, in terms of the rest of the season, uh, what are your hopes and objectives now? I'd, just, I'd, just, I'd like quite like to see just the team that's sort of finding a bit of identity and getting better throughout the the course of the campaign. And um, in terms of just what I'm seeing on the pitch, in terms of the eye test, you know, I want to see players like Damari Graves. Obviously, had a really good start to Everton. You know, find consistency and show himself to be the player that he can be. I want to see Richarlison can kick on again. I want to see Carver-Lewin obviously come back and do well. And, and and younger players that have been in the side recently, you know, Anthony Gordon's been playing a lot more recently. I, w- I want to know a bit more about him by the end of the season. I don't want to be seeing Alex Awoe be turning the same performances that we've seen him turn over the, for the last three years. I don't want to be at the end of the campaign going, is Anthony Gordon good enough? You know, where does he play? Is, is, has he got a future with this football club? You know, there's no reason why I've ever taken a finish between eighth and twelfth that they don't learn about the young players they've got at the football club. So I think that's really important. Um and I'd also like a bit of a, a cup run as well. You know, it's well documented that Everton have, have been in one major final since nineteen ninety five and they lost that. It's um they've they've not got close enough to winning trophies on anywhere near enough occasions. Obviously it's really hard now because you know teams like City and, and Chelsea and Liverpool have got such amazing squads that they can they can get the the finals of these competitions while breaking sweat. But I think that'll be a good way for, for Benitez to sort of earn favour straight away. You know, if he can get Everton to the semi-finals and give us a day out at Wembley or even to a final or, you know, heaven forbid, actually win something, then then all of a sudden he's, he's ingratiated himself a hell of a lot with the supporters. So I think they're the two things really to see a team developing and young players developing and, and maybe a, a sneaky little run in the FA Cup from, from January onwards. Yeah. And uh, finally, Matt, we've got a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. Uh, let's have a score prediction from this because I'm, uh, I'm I'm generally not very good. So uh, I'll let you have mine. <laughs> like to, uh, so do, do you usually do this with the opposition fans? Yeah. And, and, and do they say that their team are going to win or are they very respectful of City's ability and talent it's uh, to be, when it, well the, the thing is because because it's raising money for charity I think it, it depends we, we get sometimes opposition fans because generally City fans don't predict that City will lose so it's quite nice when the opposition fan predicts that City will drop points and it happens so you know that's that's that is a route to, to winning money sometimes all right I'll, I'll go I'll go down the middle then because I think City obviously had a bit of a couple of Dodgy results at home, haven't you, recently? Or be absolutely amazed against United the other week. Um, I think Richarlison's not got a bad record against City. I think he scored a few times. So I'll go Richarlison to score or, or first goal and I'll go one all draw. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Matt Jones from the Blue Room. Time now to look ahead to the Champions League tie on Wednesday with PSG. And uh, Kieran, I, I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on on uh, the Champions League group so far, because obviously City are top of the group. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but in a weird way, it feels like their position and the points total 
doesn't reflect how well they've played in the Champions League this season, even though they're top of the group. Do, do you know what I mean? Uh, no. What 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 are you getting at? So City have played better than what what their uh, position looks, or not as well? No, better than I because I because I, I basically I look at it and think, well, PSG are really knocking on City's door. Yeah. They're, they're right. They're right on the shoulder. And yeah, you're like, yeah. but City have been so much better than PSG in this group. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, I mean, they, they beat us, didn't they? So uh, so what can you do? But, yeah, we've scored 15, but we've let in seven. So I, I think that probably tells a bit of a story. Um, I've enjoyed, Do you know what? I've I've quite enjoyed, have I? I've quite enjoyed the Champions League so far this season. You can't ask me uh, that question. I've no idea uh, if you've no, enjoyed I, it or not. It's just because I've never really run it around my head yet. Um, but like the Leipzig game was dead entertaining. Um, I thought we played really well against Paris, but, um, you know, sometimes as happens with city at the minute, uh, you know, we don't finish our chances or, um, you know, mad things sometimes happen. And then the two Bruges games have been a a good laugh. You know, uh, it's been fun. There's been a, a range of different scorers, um, yeah, so I mean, I've quite liked it. The only thing I would say is that last year, I think, you know, as I think Dan Burke coined the phrase, under lab- laboratory conditions with no fans, um, we we were so unbelievably defensively tight, and you know, Diaz had just arrived, and the Diaz and Stones or Laporte, as it sometimes was in the Champions League games, like those partnerships were just dead strong and. You could feel that, you know, there was a real kind of um, you shall not pass kind of vibe. Yeah. But this year we're sort of leaking goals a little bit more. But I suppose that's making for more fun, you know, kind of wayward mad games. And like the Champions League uh, group game, like group games can be boring as fuck sometimes. So it's good, you know, it's a bit of a laugh. And then at the minute, like, that's all you want. You want some entertainment, you want some mad results and you want some like, spontaneity and unpredictability really don't you i think we're getting that at the mo yeah Gaz, you always used to say something about the champions league that that stuck with me and it was about why why the league cup was a better competition because by the time <laughs> the by the time the league cup has been won uh, the champions league was starting to get interesting and like uh, the, the group phase hasn't been interesting for a while and i feel like it's been interesting this season um just uh, I, the, other, the other side of it is like city city need one point to qualify um they need three points to win the group but do they even need to win the group anymore, Gaz? Because like you look at you look at who could finish runners up in the other groups. You could have Atletico Madrid. You could have Borussia Dortmund. You could have Inter Milan or Real Madrid. You could have Barcelona. Like it, the the way the seeding system has changed these groups, it kind of it kind of means that somewhere like that you're going to get a difficult draw in the knockout. Come what may. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a funny question, isn't it? Really, because it it depends on who you end up getting. So, like, I think we've had some relatively kind. Last sixteen um, draws, haven't we? Um, because we've well, we've you know we've got lucky, as it were, after winning the group. Um, you know, in that sense, or or it's borne out how it's supposed to. I think. Um, I think. I think. Sort of flip the question on its head a bit. I, I don't think it's worth. Um, sort of taking away from elsewhere, like sacrificing effort in the league in order to get first although like it probably bears out that it makes more sense to win your Champions League group where I've been frustrated before is where we've been struggling for league form before Christmas and we were putting all those resources in trying to win the group 
I think you get through the group, you're in the next round, aren't you? Whether you're first or second. Yeah. But uh, but if you if you if you drop points in the league in autumn, there's st- there's still points you don't have in May. If, if you know what I mean. So I, I always kind of think that. Um, yeah, I always just find it a bit frustrating when we sort of prioritise getting first over, you know, over using those resources in the league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kieran mentioned um, obviously City a bit unlucky in Paris, maybe not clinical enough. Um, do you think the dynamic changes with it being at the Etihad Gas? It's still it's still Messi and Bappe and Neymar. Yeah, I think it was a good performance in Paris, and we were the better side probably. Like it did kind of feel like sucker punches, but. It does sort of feel like that performance gets better and better the more we, you know, the further away we get from it. I mean, we still didn't score, and and we were a bit blunt, weren't we? I think we had chances in the first half, and then after that, I mean, yeah, we played well, and and you know, it was it was the goals weren't really like you know you couldn't really get too annoyed at them from a defensive perspective. But I don't, I think we have got a bit of a point to prove. Um, so, um, be, be, because yeah, because because they did us. Um, does it make it easy, easier at home? Well, yeah, it's easier at home. But yeah, they're a good side, aren't they? Um, and they've got a good manager. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a tricky one. I think. Yeah. Um, I think. I think. I think. I think he. I think he'd take a point. Yeah. 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 Well, a point gets him through, doesn't it? So that's that. I mean, that's that. That's it. I mean, Kieran, for you. Like, I guess the, the the key is just avoid that bloody messy goal because he always seems to score it. Do you know mm. what I mean? Even yeah, when it was yeah. Barcelona or PSG, he always seems to score that goal. Yeah, yeah. He he sat around pecking his arse the, at the away fixture, didn't he? And then scored that worldly. And then yeah. you see the you see the papers. You know, the next morning, you know, on on Twitter, that journalist who tweets them out, and it's just like every back page the next morning. It's just messy this and messy that. And it's like, he did absolutely nothing all game. Um, and I don't think, you know, I, I don't really uh, keep track of league uh, too much, but I don't think he's really tore up too many trees on domestically, has he, for, for PSG? Um, shows so, the, yeah. shows the level of my my preparation for this that I've got absolutely no idea, mate. Yeah, Sorry, I, I've not even looked. Not even look, I don't even know where they are on the table. Not even looked. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, the, on, the only thing, I, well, the only goal he had scored, I knew for a bit, was against us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's very non-committal. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think basically they were worried about his form and it was quite patchy. And like Pochettino had taken him off in a couple of games and stuff and he wasn't very happy about it. Um and then he scored that unbelievable goal against us. And it's just like, right, well, that's typical. Absolutely. Like, he just seems to be destined to do that. Um, I, I, I keep wondering whether we should have signed him or not. I know I'm completely contradicting myself there. But, you know, when you just had the opportunity to get him and like Pep working with him again, I keep thinking back to the summer, just going like, he was there for the taking for a bit. Why did we not go for it? Like, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I'm preparing myself for him to score against us. Like, but, um, I'm also preparing for him not to do much else in the game. Uh, did you see that video? It was really funny from their game against Leipzig, it must have been, where he was just like tying his lace in the centre circle while all the movement, yeah. all the play was just going beyond him and he just was bent over, just not a care in the world. It's just like, it's just a late career payday for him, you know, and yeah. you can sort of tell that it, it doesn't, you know, I suppose it's just, he finds himself in a bit of a mercenary situation, whereas... 
his heart was always with Barcelona, wasn't it? So it's a funny, yeah. it's a funny one. Just before we move on, can I just take this time to congratulate you on your French accent as well? <laughs> <laughs> League, uh, is that how you said? Uh, well, uh, I, yeah, I, I did French A level and I couldn't do it better. I'm not right. the, uh, Ligue 1. Yeah, yeah. I sounds like it was about to drop a few bars of a Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, you two are both uh, season ticket holders. I uh, don't know if you're in the cup schemes. Are you going to this one, Gaz? Yeah, I'm in the cup scheme. Yeah, in the cup scheme. I've not. I, I'm in the cup scheme, but I've not. I've not been able to make either of the previous two rounds. Sort of in my first, the first Gazprom of the year. That's good. Yeah. Ticket away, <laughs> Kieran, are you in the cup schemes? Because I know obviously you don't live in Manchester either, so you've got a, you have a bit of a journey to get. A... Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, my mate at work actually told me uh, that he would do anything to go to that game and if I could sort him out a ticket he's an Everton fan if I could sort him out a ticket he would he would de- he would like bite my hand off kind of thing and uh then, so, he's, so he's coming on Sunday and not on uh, Wednesday <laughs> yeah well uh he was texting me then going remember I asked you about the game is there any chance so I, I had two tickets lined up and then I texted him about the press buy and it was just like they're 55 quid do you know that and he just didn't reply that was the end of it <laughs> Well, this is this is what I wanted to get into because um, is it is it right that City have charged as much as they have done for this game, given what they charged for the other two games? What did they charge for the other two games? Just well, standard. not not fifty five pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it annoys me. I mean, people who are more articulate than me have talked very well about ticket prices, um, but it's it's one of them. I can see why they do it. Because, you know, it's a blockbuster event. But at the same time, it doesn't matter who's on the pitch. Ticket prices should just be the same and they should be reasonable. Um, it could be a nil-nil draw, do you know what I mean? Just because Messi, Neymar and Mbappe are there uh, doesn't mean they should hike prices up. And we're just out of a pandemic, do you know what I mean? Like, people's priorities have changed. People have lost jobs. People have been on furlough. Like, people have lost loved ones. And it's just, like to fork out that much money when we've made, all made these mad sacrifices, people are also anxious about going out and being a big crowds again, you know? So it's just, it's one of them where I think they should have, I think they just should have thought of be, be, being a bit more fair about it. You know, we've just yeah. like, yeah, that's just my, is it sold out yet? Is, is, are there still some left? I've yeah, no, apparently it has. It's, it's sold out. Mm. I mean, of right. course the, the club will point to that and go, well, it's, people yeah. bought them. So well, that's it. I mean, I guess, it, <sighs> According to the market, they're, they're, they're the right price, aren't they? But I mean, morally, that's too much to ask somebody to go and pay to watch their football team, mm. who they've supported all their life, go and, go and play football. But there you go. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, uh, let's see if we can raise some money of our own. We've raised six hundred and twenty pounds so far this season on the charity bet with William Hill. Topped up last time thanks to Anya Hudson, correctly guessing United nil, City two. Each of the panel gets a ten pound correct score single on City's games. The winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank support scheme. There are a group of City fans who are collecting food bank donations, both food and money, to help the Trussell Trust support those living in poverty in Greater Manchester. Uh, we heard earlier on that uh, Matt from the Blue Room thinks it'll be a one-all draw on Sunday, which is fourteen to one and £140 if he's right. Um, let's start with uh, you, Kieran. What are you having for uh, City against Everton? Uh, another 2-0. Uh, another 2-0 is 5-1 to one and £50 if you're right. Gaz, what are you going for? I think it's a 3-0, didn't I? I think, uh, yeah, um, yeah, you did say 3-0. I think Stones and Diaz are going to, you know, rekindle the bromance and we're going to start keeping some um, clean sheets and so- I think we'll stretch the legs a bit in front of goal. Excellent. That's eleven to two and fifty-five pounds if you're right. Uh, Gas, we'll stick with you for uh, for PSG. What are you going for? One all. 
One all is seven to one and seventy pounds, Kieran. Uh two one. That messy goal killing us. Bloody two one. Um <laughs> sorry, two one to two, City. Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. sorry I don't I know why just, I said Messi killing us. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah, because like, yeah, yeah. he scored a consolation, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's 15 to 2 and £75 if you're right. Well, uh, a peek behind the curtain is I wanted both 2 1 and 1 1, uh, and they've both been taken off the table. So let's go for some money 2 2, 14 to 1, and £140 if that happens to come in. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, in March this year, City announced the launch of their own fan tokens alongside Socios.com. City aren't the only club to do this. Others like PSG, Inter Milan and Leeds United have also done the same. On Thursday, Ruben Diaz was promoting them on his Twitter page as well. Now, I don't really know what they are. And the first paragraph that I can understand on the club's website where the news was announced says it creates a new layer of digital engagement for City's global fan base, bringing them even closer to the club they love. Again, still no idea what that means. So what does it mean? What are fan tokens for? How does it bring the fans closer to the club? Joey Durso is an investigations writer with The Athletic and has written previously about fan tokens. I've been speaking to him to get more of an idea about what's going on. So fan tokens are these digital tokens which uh, lots of clubs around Europe have. Um, Five Premier League clubs were announced a couple of months ago. So it's City, Arsenal, Villa, Everton and Leeds. Now, these tokens are, are marketed as fan engagement tokens. So you can supposedly have a say in your club. You can win VIP prizes. Um, and yeah, but what they don't really say is that it's basically a kind of crypto frenzy trading scheme. So these tokens kind of float in the, you know, people will have heard of things like Bitcoin, Um which is a, a cryptocurrency. So it's like a kind of virtual currency which people buy and sell. And it's kind of gone up loads in value over the years. So lots of people know kind of, you know, someone's brother's mate who bought Bitcoin 10 years ago and is now a millionaire. Um, this stuff can go down as well as up. And people are constantly kind of creating new cryptocurrencies. And the Man City coin is a new cryptocurrency, basically, which is made by this company, Socios. And there are these fan engagement things that go with it. But if you look at it, like the Man City, I looked at Man City just now and it's like, have a vote on what wallpaper we should, you know, like a, a mobile phone wallpaper. Do you want like midfield or goal? It's, it's just, it's, it's nonsense really. Or like what, um, you know, colour armband should, should someone wear in training or like who should the Instagram banner be? It's really not meaningful. You know, if you talk about fan engagement, you think you're thinking about, you know, ticket prices or, or, or transfers or those kind of things that fans really care about. It's nothing like that. So I think all this fan engagement is a bit of a front really for this crypto scheme, which is completely unregulated exposes fans to big financial risk because um you know this crypto stuff can just plunge overnight and uh yeah i mean i've done a lot of reporting on this the athletic i've done a big article about socios uh and it's actually really interesting the city one is listed on a company called binance which is it's based in the cayman islands um the uk regulator the financial conduct authority has basically said um we've got no idea what's going on there we don't really recommend people use it so it's a really kind of murky world and football clubs you know not just city lots of other clubs as well around europe are embracing this stuff it's pretty kind of a really murky territory. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I've, I've seen from your Twitter as well that you're an Aston Villa fan. Aston Villa have have something similar, don't they, with uh, with, with their own version of this with Socios. Um, well, I mean, what what's the concerns for fans? Because, like you say, it's not just City fans. Yeah, and you know, like I'm an Aston Villa fan, and I follow you know all these sort of accounts that I'm sure you do with City, like you know, proper fans who chat all day about the club and no one is engaged in these tokens you know no, no one's talking about them they're not a thing um, the club is being used as a sort of way to create this and you know it makes it sound legit you know you have a big club like man city um 
you create some sort of digital artifact that no one would otherwise care about. Whereas football, people do know about it and care about it. And they have, um, you know, things with the club. And the, and the key thing is it's, it's money for the club because they, they sell these on exchanges and the club gets a cut. But they're really popular, not with your average, you know, Man City season ticket holder. They're popular with people in countries like um, Turkey or Brazil, where they have hyperinflation, which means that if you stick your money in the bank account, it's going to um, lessen in value. So people are constantly seeking out crypto to sort of put the money into, um, which is all a sort of deeply weird world, very far removed from football. And, you know, a lot of fans are asking, you know, why are our clubs getting getting involved in this? Yeah, I mean, in terms of of City and City fans, then for for that instance, if 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 City fans aren't buying it, is it a problem? Well, it's completely unregulated. It's completely volatile. It could, you know, it's a bit of a reputation issue. I think, you know, there's lots of people, sort of Turkish people, who probably know very little about Manchester City Football Club, who are getting angry about Socios for not listing it on Binance. All these complicated things, which I don't really understand, even having spent months of this. But it's a bit of a reputational issue, I think, for all these clubs because it's a bit weird. And it's a bit murky and it's got not much to do with football. You know, it's a long way removed from, you know, who are the big city sponsors over the years? You've got Brother, IDOS, you know, sponsorship is part of football. And I think everyone accepts it's good to get, you know, money in to spend on players and whatever else. But some of this stuff is is odd and it doesn't look great for the clubs involved. Yeah, this I mean, this this all piqued my interest uh, this week after the announcement of the deal with uh, Three Key. Um, is, there, is this a similar thing or is it is it related in any way? I don't think it's related to Socios, but it's a baffling company. I mean, it's you know, I, I, I you know, I've, I've spent months reporting on this area. I've spoken to so many people in the world, and whatever. I've learned a lot in the process. I sent this to so many people who just did not have a clue. So, yeah, Man City tweeted yesterday: "We are pleased to announce a new partnership with Three Key DeFi. The partnership will see the decentralized finance DeFi trading analysis and advisory technology company become an official regional partner." Now, I don't know what that means. Um, doesn't seem like anyone else does either. The website appeared with no address, no named people. It named some people who didn't appear to have any digital footprint. I mean, God knows what this is, but it doesn't look great, like advertising it via a football club. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Joey Durso talking to me about fan tokens. Time now to hear from Howard Hocking. He's talking about how the experience of international breaks has changed for City fans over the course of the last 15 years. All the ducks are swimming in the water. come a long way as City fans, the beaming pride when Sean White Phillips entered the pitch as an England player, the puffed out chests when he went on to score a brilliant goal, one of our own, the blue tearing it up for his national side, with the big boys, we had arrived kind of, we could cast off the bitterness of how Keith Curl and David White were used, abused and discarded by past England managers, without having been given a proper chance. It was almost like winning a trophy, maybe, though how would we know? I imagine other club's fans were happy for him too. Not a bad word to be said about him or the club he played for. Little old city, not a threat to anyone. Quite endearing, aren't they? And their fans, poor things. All downtrodden, but still full of hope, despite their penchant for gallows humour. But boy, how times have changed. The lottery winners that are Manchester City and its fan base don't think like that now. They'll live on an exclusive estate, gated off. You may have driven past it now and then the holiday in the Maldives and around the world. And so now the attitude to such occurrences is rather different. Now expletives fill the air when I hear that 17 City players are in their national side starting line-up for that evening's fixtures. 
Roberto Martinez is considered on a par with war criminals for overplaying Kevin De Bruyne. Fellow football fans around the UK and beyond are utter fools for thinking that City's players aren't the best in their position for their respective nations. But I'm perfectly happy for their national managers to be similarly deluded if it meant them not being picked. I mean, it's international football after all, so who cares? Especially for qualifiers. There are few upsides to a Bernardo Silva Portugal masterclass. Only downsides, such as injury or fatigue, something he now seems to have. I've no idea who the Portugal manager is, but I now despise him, especially considering his incompetence now means City's 12 Portuguese players, I think it's 12, having to participate in a World Cup playoff match or two. And these managers may be of varying quality, ranging from your Gather Southgates to your Roberto Mancini's. Hang on, have I got that the wrong way around? Anyway, deluded they are not, and the City players keep getting picked again and again and again. But I've got to admit, part of me likes international breaks. As you're probably aware, supporting City is stressful on and off the pitch. International breaks are often a joke and badly timed, but they're a nice opportunity for a break from the day-to-day stresses of club football, where every player must play perfectly every week and Pep must win every game to avoid once more being a bold fraud if he isn't won permanently. Often the desire for such breaks depends on how City did in the game prior to the international fixtures. When they're on a roll, you want a game every two days. But I've finally gotten a plane to somewhere warmer, and I picked this week for a good reason, as I don't want the prospect of a City performance putting a dampener on things. Last time I was in Spain, City drew two all at Newcastle, and had a good old sulk for most of the remainder of the day. But internationals are troublesome, as players get ground into dust. It seems harder and harder for such players to have long, largely injury-free careers, as those who run the game seem less and less concerned about their welfare, and paying them a lot doesn't alter that. Players are carbon footprinting their way around the globe, but the honest truth is that I'm less concerned about the impending and perhaps inevitable destruction of our planet, and more that Gabriel Jesus might be a bit leggy for Norwich at home. And the days of me pining for City players to play well for their countries pass by in double quick time. After all, Kai Walker, to use a random example, putting in a stinker of a performance for England in a World Cup qualifier is of little interest or consequence to me or any of the blue. I'd rather he scored a hat-trick every match before mooning the opposition fans, but it's not top of my priorities. England are going to qualify anyway, and we all know already how good he is. It's unlikely that such a terrible performance will transfer itself to his club form. Players have bad games now and then, even the very best. Not current Bernardo Silva, but yeah, the others. What's more, the blinkered tribalism of rival fans ensures that if Jack Grealish scored five goals against Spain, there'll be plenty of people on Twitter downgrading the achievement, as Spain aren't all that, and they're all tappings anyway. We've talked of World Cups every two years, and you get the feeling that one way or another it will be forced through eventually, as part of some drab compromise. Internationals are not going away, they're creeping ever forward, like corporate sections at Premier League grounds. Bizarrely, the City player that seems to be most overworked of all, Kevin De Bruyne, has come out in support of the proposition. But in the end, perhaps the greatest gift international breaks can give us is reminded us of why we love club football so much. A palate cleanser before footballers get back to the real business. Portugal and Italy may have playoffs to navigate after the group stages, giving us something of a story and possible shocks on the horizon. But truth is, they'll probably still qualify. Qualifiers are like the Champions League group stage. They have their moments, but essentially it's just a warm-up for the real excitement. There is a big caveat, naturally. 
I come with this argument from an English perspective, so opinions would differ wildly according to nationality. England's progress in recent years has been funnish to watch, yet over the years I do not think it's been a fun experience watching the team on the whole. You can make up your own conclusions as to why I may think that, but going to a game certainly didn't help with my opinion on in that regard. I reckon too, without any evidence to back it up, that England means more to fans whose club never win anything, as it's their best chance to experience glory as a football fan, at least at the top level. Don't get me wrong, a promotion means as much to a Barnsley fan as a Premier League title win for City means to me, but you will see from the flags of many fans that those of what are considered smaller clubs like to follow the national side, from fans that rarely get the buzz of glory provided by their club. It could have been us. But again, this is England. Away from England, qualifying has been anything but dull for many. Scotland fans are rightly on a high after defeating Denmark to get a home playoff tie. Wales too. And Switzerland have edged out Italy. Some achievement. Never underestimate Swiss. So as always, my views arrive with an English bias. But it's not all bad this break. It means I don't have to bemoan yet again for getting to check my fantasy football team, get exasperated at not doing my soccer six predictions, nor berate the editing skills on match of the day or wonder why City are on fifth. And if that hasn't persuaded you that international breaks are good, and it hasn't, then at least console yourself that we're done with them until March. And so, back to business. Everton at home at the glamour time of 2pm on a Sunday. Club football ain't perfect either, as that kickoff time shows. But it's real football, it's nervy, it's important, it means more. You need to lose something to truly appreciate its worth. And more than ever, I'm ready once more to appreciate Premier League football, with three new managers making their debut this weekend all at home. So thank you International Football for that. You've given me a break, you've reminded me of what is important, and also that amazingly, some countries have even worse national anthems than England. So all in all, it's a big thumbs up from me. Hello, my name is Gerard Beacons, a former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawking. Uh, as ever, we're going to finish with some audience questions. Get them sent in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, just the one this week to finish, John Spears on Twitter. He says, does the use of VAR seem to be better this season? Maybe it's that it hasn't affected City so much, but other than the delay for the Jesus goal against Crystal Palace, I don't feel like it's causing as many controversies as it has done in the past. Or are we all just getting used to it? Kieran, what do you reckon? Yeah, well, I think it's actually Gaza's take on it that I'm going to reach for here. Um, Gaz always said that it wasn't a controversial thing, but it was because it was given so much air time and it was dissected in Sky Sports Studios and BT Sports Studios so much and poured over that that made it become controversial. And I suppose when you watch on the telly anyway, they don't draw the lines as, uh, any, anymore. Is that right? Um, well, they, yeah, they've they've changed how much it's shown. Um, they don't they don't have the whole they don't show the whole process anymore. They just show the final image a few like a few minutes after the the decision. Yeah, I, but like I mean that must be an exercise in human psychology because as soon as they stop showing it and talking about it all the time, um, you know the percentages of people's like the instances sorry of people's um, anger about it seems to have decreased. You know. Um, 
So, I mean, it's one of them. I've never been a fan of it. I know Gaz has been a fan of it, but um, it's just, it was the implementation of it that I wasn't a fan of. I, you know, I was completely behind the idea of it. Um, and now it seems to be used a bit more sensibly. Um, there seems to be some rationale in what the, um, what is, you know, what's behind the decisions. Uh, a few rule changes have favored common sense, I think, as well. All that stuff about, you know, people's shoulders and the slight millimeters offside and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it's all changed. I mean, I still like was unfathomably gutted when that goal was ruled off against Palace. Like, you know, the the high to low sort of the, that, the high that, to yeah. low again. I mean, I'll never ever ever get used to that because I mean that was a horrible game to watch. We were behind. We were down to ten men. The unbelievable elation in the stadium, the burst, and you know we've 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 not really had our backs against the wall scoring a goal like that you know in the stadium for so long because we've all you know been watching from behind closed doors so like that that elation and then to get that all ripped away and to hear the palace fans kind of jeering and cheering again i mean that's such a sickener and you know i kind of long for the days where maybe it wasn't stewed over so much and you got away with an offside um but yeah so that that will never change, and I, you know I'll always hate VAR for that. Even though quite often we'll get the rub of the green too, but yeah, um, I suppose it's just not as controversial anymore because we don't have as much access to it, and you kind of forget it's there until something horrible like that happens against Palace. Yeah. Gaz, as, as Kieran just torpedoed your point there entirely. <laughs> I feel like I need to write a reply here because there's some people who get very excited about VAR, don't they? So um, mm. I, I think like so I'm not um, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of how it's being used, but in principle, I think we should be finding a way to use video technology, make decisions because you just see so many bad ones. So I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I'm just, a, I, I agree with it in principle. Um, and you know, it can be made better. I think, but yeah, like over, overridingly, that's like what I kind of like, I think, I think what what I found just as annoying as VAR ruining big moments was just the hysteria around its use. But so like yeah. it was like the it was in, like for like at first it, and for a long time it felt as if just using it was controversial and it was just sort of being made like just it's commentators were making out that its use in its in in and of itself was controversial. You know, you go for a VAR check, within 10 seconds you'd be having some pundit saying, oh, we don't know what's going on, this is a shambles. And it wasn't really, well, it wasn't all the time anyway. And it just sort of like, let, you know how people are so easily sort of led with regards to this stuff. It sort of like reached this like insane amount of sort of hostility around it and people were getting so bent out of shape that I, I kind of felt as if like, well, this... This is almost as big a people being annoyed as it was almost as big a problem of it spoiling big moments or or you know um, or, or whatever. That, that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe maybe people have got used to it a bit more. I think I think what annoys me most about its use now is like non decisions. So like because because I and I agree. And in fact, I don't really think the threshold is 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 high enough. Really, I, I agree that it should be there for the clear and obvious, the big balls up. So everything else, they should just stay on the field. The big big errors, and the one I always point to is like the, you know, do you remember the the second goal 
at home against Liverpool in the Champions League when it wasn't yeah. it was obviously not that, that's the that I honestly think that that's the kind of the threshold where it should be brought in none of this you know was it a yellow or a red stuff when it comes to sort of bad tackles but like my, my big issue with it is is that like it's just sort of like a non-decision so referees will bottle making a decision on the pitch because they'll leave it to VAR but then VAR doesn't want to overturn the the, the decision on the pitch. Well, the, the threshold is not high enough. On exactly. The, the so error just, that they've yeah. made is not big enough. Yeah. Yeah. So you just like so you just the poorer referees in the league, of which there are quite a few, yeah. just end up. They just ends up. They just stop refereeing, and you uh, that 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 really irritates me. Um, yeah. Yeah, what a, what a Pandora's box we've opened there for the end of the show. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you've seen the end of talking about VAR, and then it just like <laughs> it, it kind of presses those buttons again, doesn't it? Yeah, there we go. But uh, that is it. It brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, then please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. Coming up on Monday for Patreon backers, we've got the next entry in our City Heaven City Hell series. Stat City himself, Adam Carter, sits down with me and Jack from Rule the Roost podcast as we thrash out too good and too bad performances against Tottenham Kieran you've done one of these uh, yours is coming up a bit later in the season it was I, I, it was City and Stoke wasn't it yeah City City Stoke Heaven and Hell that's right it was yeah. great crack they're good fun um, aren't they yeah brilliant yeah good steam all together the Stoke fellow was yeah he was a great lad and we poured over some uh, yeah some decent results and some horror results and yeah quite cathartic and uh, quite gloaty in equal measure yeah, yeah. it was good crack <laughs> bit, bit nostalgic yes uh, yeah, yeah, well if you'd uh, if you'd like to listen to those then you can sign up for just two pounds a month at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and as a little added extra you'll also get this weekly podcast without the ads as well special thanks to my guests for today's show kieran murray thanks very much david and gaz thanks for having me i'll be back next week so i'll see you then the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast